Thanks for tuning into a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. It's our prayer that God would use this to stir your affections for Jesus, that the Spirit would work through his word being expounded as you listen to this message. As a reminder, podcasts and audio and video are great, but they aren't a replacement for the local church family. And so if you're part of Redemption Hill, a reminder to come and join us. If you're not in Washington, D.C., we would love for you to get connected to a local church where you can be loved and cared for. If you'd like to give to the ongoing ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can do so at our website, redemptionhilldc.org. Thanks for listening. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, um, we come expectantly, expectant that you will speak to us, expectant that, that you will meet us in this time, that we will be able to hear your voice, and so we pray and plead to you that you're, by your spirit you would soften our hearts, and that you would help us to see the glory of who Jesus is more sweetly, and that you would move to bring our eyes to be fixed on you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, it is a new year. It's filled with new potential and new beginnings and new opportunities. There'll be new challenges and new hope. And for some of you, having a new year means that it's an exciting time. For some of you, how many of you have a resolution that you've maintained to day seven? One. <laughs> Congratulations. We are not... We are not over-disciplined as a church, apparently. Um, so some of you have made resolutions for the new year, and you're looking ahead with, with expectancy of, of what might happen and things you've been longing for and working toward, and maybe 2018 is the time that they're going to come through. For some of you, a new year and looking ahead may also bring anxiety and fear and uncertainty, and for you, it's, you're fearful of what 2018 might bring. Well, today, we'll see that there's hope for us. But our hope isn't just in the rolling of a calendar. It's not just in a new day and in new opportunities that will come in 2018, that there's a more grounded hope for us in Christ. And so today we're beginning a new series um, that I'm, I'm excited about. We are beginning a series in the book of Acts this morning. We're going to take Acts as four like, sections, four series over the next couple of years. So right now we're beginning the first section of that that'll take us through the winter and into the spring, just through the first seven chapters of Acts. Now, Acts is a book that is written about the first days of the early church the beginnings of the movement of the people of God as the church was formed. And so we see how God was forming a people for his glory from all people all over the earth and how it was his word extended to the nations and so that everyone could come into his family. And particularly in these first seven chapters, we see all, the, all kinds of new beginnings. And so this first section of Acts is vitally important for us today. It's vitally important for our church here in D.C. almost 2,000 years later. Because it shows us that the church in its earliest days was shaped by the movement of God's spirit as he moved in and among and through God's people. It's going to show us how the call to follow Jesus itself works itself out in the face of pressure, in the face of opposition, and how the message of Jesus advances and the gospel moves on. And so today we begin um, the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, you can turn it to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is the second volume of Luke's work, which we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But this story that we begin with today happened just 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So just over a month later and is where we step into the story. 
And this would have been a terrifying time, an exhilarating time, a confusing time for the disciples and the apostles as they were waiting to see what was going to happen. So this is what we begin with in Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking up and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so begins the book of Acts. It's a pretty dramatic beginning, right? I mean, this is, it, it's, it jumps right into an amazing event as Jesus ascends into heaven. It's the second volume of Luke's work. And so we, um, some of you know that we have been around that we spent about two and a half years in Luke's gospel. Over in 2017, we did a bunch of short series, but we're, and so now we're getting into that second volume written by the same guy. So Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. We read that in Colossians 4. And so in his writing, that shows up. He has a doctor's attention to detail, and he notices things that other people might overlook. We see that through his gospel account, and we see it in Acts as well, that he especially is focused on people with a warmth and compassion. He's also a committed gospel worker. He worked alongside the Apostle Paul. And in the end of the book of Acts, there's a bunch of passages that he refers to the travels that Paul was doing, but he uses the language that we went to this place. So he worked right alongside him. And he stayed with Paul to the end. Even when the Apostle Paul was in prison toward the end of his life, he wrote to his young friend Timothy that Luke alone is with me. Um, Luke was also a careful researcher. He, he wrote be, this book between 60 and 65 AD. So that's just 30 years after these events had happened. For reference, how long, what, what was the year 30 years ago? It's math and it's cold, I know. Hey, 1988, you got it. <laughs> Congratulations. All right. Whew, that was more hard than I thought it was going to be. Um, how many of you were actually alive in 1988? All right. Hey, that's a lot of you. That's good. Um, 1988, just a little reminder for you of some of the things, the, the events that happened that year. That was the year that Jess and Phil were born. <laughs> it is also a year that the Redskins won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 22. It was the year that the big, the big news cycle was focused on the Iran-Contra affair. Microsoft released Windows 2.1, and the, there were Olympics, they were both happening the same year at that point, so the Olympics happened in Seoul and in Calgary. 
And so 30 years ago, it just isn't that long ago culturally. When we think about events that were 30 years ago, they're verifiable. We can talk to people who remember them and saw them and can walk through their memories of what had happened. And so when we read Acts, we need to keep that in mind. This wasn't written hundreds of years later. This was written just 30 years after the events had occurred, and Luke was giving an ordered account so that we could understand with certainty what had, what had occurred. He's a cultured and brilliant writer, and his work is some of the purest Greek in the New Testament. And so that's who's going to guide us in, in the next few months through the book of Acts. And in this first chapter, we actually see he lays out the entire storyline of Jesus' work from start to finish, and it all shows up here. So he, he talks about the incarnation, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he had, and he said, refers back to the, his gospel and says, I had written down everything that Jesus began to do as he came to earth. And so and then it gets into his passion that he suffered and died in our place for our sin. He was resurrected and raised to life, that, that he did not stay dead, but was resurrected to new life, conquering sin and death. And, and then he gave commands to his apostles even after coming back from the grave. But it doesn't stop there. In today's text, it's focused primarily on the ascension, that Jesus ascended to heaven. He did not, he didn't, after just 40 days, he appeared to more than 500 people, and he ascended to heaven. Then we have Pentecost, as he gives his Holy Spirit to his people. He calls his church to mission, and there's a promise that he will return again. That's the entirety of the work of Christ, captured in one chapter. But today, we're going to focus primarily on the ascension, because that's the primary focus of this text. And in our circles, in my theological streams, I don't think the ascension is actually talked about that much. We talk a lot about the crucifixion and the cross, rightly, because it's, it's vitally important. It is the pinnacle, the climax of God's redemptive work. We talk a lot about the resurrection, because without the resurrection, it's senseless to talk about the cross, because it shows that the cross was the pathway to Christ's glory in resurrecting. But the ascension kind of gets left out. So we're going to spend some time talking about it today, and we'll see it's, it's critically important. And actually, if we take that out of Christ's work, it minimizes everything else that, ha- that has happened. And so today we're going to see why the ascension of Jesus Christ is important to us. The first reason is because Jesus didn't stay dead. Now, this is, that might seem like an odd way to put it, but honestly, I just couldn't figure out how else to word it. Because this is the the reality. Here's the truth that Luke captures for us. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he never died again. And even the disciples had a different expectation here, right? Jesus comes to them. He's, He's resurrected and with them. He's been with them for 40 days, and he says to them, hey, you need to stay in Jerusalem and wait. Those are his commands. None of us likes that command. None of us enjoys when God makes us wait in seasons in our lives. And, and so here, he, the first thing they say, that, that he says to them is, stay here and just wait. Because the Holy Spirit is coming. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And do you see how the disciples respond? Cool. Is this when you're going to make us kings? Are you going to restore Israel now? Is this the moment? We're going to take over Rome, right? He's like, hold on. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. And like Peter had already had this issue. If you remember when Jesus was arrested, Peter, like they were, he, Jesus was, he had just finished instituting communion. He, they had the last supper together. He explained, this is the moment, the covenant, the new covenant of God is coming to bear and it's going to come through my suffering and death. But, and, and he was explaining all that and walking through that. And Peter's response was, hey, I've got a sword. 
And Jesus, when Jesus is rested, he, he tries to take a swing and, and start a battle, and Jesus has to heal the high priest's servant's ear that Peter cut off, swinging his head. And so th- this is the constant issue with the disciples that we see over and over and over again, is that they, at this moment, even as Jesus is explaining, wait here because it's not going to be a long time, but my Holy, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and then stuff's going to start going. And the response of the disciples is, when does our glory come? Jesus had bigger plans. He didn't come just for the throne in Jerusalem. And he didn't come to be a politician to lead a revolt. Jesus had a throne that he was going to in heaven itself. That's why the ascension is essential. Because it shows us that resurrection is not merely resuscitation. We've seen resuscitations. That we, we have them. Our modern medicine can help with that, where people are, where hearts can stop and they can be brought back to life. We just had a dramatic resuscitation in our house on Thursday morning. We have a fish named Harper, <laughs> obviously named after Bryce Harper. Um, and there's times when we get a little bit lackadaisical about how clean we keep Harper's tank. I think that mainly falls on me, but... Um, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> so Harper um, had, I looked in the tank on Wednesday and realized that the water was a little murky. There was some waste collecting in one of the corners. But Harper had, all of his fins had turned white. And he had stuff hanging off of him. And he, it, so it was like some kind of a fungal infection. And he had, we have a little like shipwreck toy inside the fish tank. And he had lodged himself into the shipwreck because he didn't want to waste the energy swimming anymore. And so I had to deal with my eight-year-old boy saying, is Harper going to (laughs) die? And so I said, we're going to do everything we can, buddy. So Wednesday, we started treating him with some fish medicine. And Thursday, we had like an emergency in the morning before school. Except, was Thursday the snow day? Oh, gosh, yeah. And so we emptied out the tank, replaced all the water, cleaned everything up put Harper back in, have been treating him, and he, I mean, it was bad. That Thursday morning, it was a clean tank, and he was laying on his side on the rocks. (laughs) But now, through quick action in the wonders of medicine, Harper's been resuscitated. And he is swimming around and enjoying the wonders of his fish tank. The reality is, though, Harper was not resurrected. He is still a fish with the limitations of fishiness. We can't take him out of the tank. He can't pass through the glass walls. And he's going to die someday. We'll keep him along as live as we can, but he's not going to make it someday, and he'll end up going swirling to his watery grave because all drains lead to the ocean. (laughs) Jesus had brought Lazarus back from the dead. But that didn't change the nature of redemptive history because Lazarus was a man who, while being brought back from the dead, went on to live more years and eventually die again. Christ was resurrected. He didn't die again. And so his ascension is essential because it shows that what happened in the resurrection was not just somebody reviving, but he came renewed and restored in glory. And so Luke had written in in his gospel account, he began it by saying, the reason he was writing is he said, it seemed good for me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, Theophilus. Why? That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. 
So this is the hope that we have. And the, what the, the, this gospel writer, Luke, is writing these things down so that we would be certain that these events happened because he has eyewitness accounts to give us that hope. And, he, and it's, the resurrection and ascension of Christ are, are essential for us because what it shows is that we actually have hope. And so what we read in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul captured, he says, this is the reality. As was the man of dust, Adam, who all of us are descendants of, so also are those of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are also are those who are of heaven. We have borne the image of the man of dust, and we will bear the image of the man of heaven. So he's saying all of us is born into a state of brokenness and helplessness and decay from the moment we're born. But the hope for us is, and all of us have the, the specter of death hanging over us as well. And so then the hope is that death is swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. So death, where is your victory? No, death, where is your sting? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the ascension is, is important to us because it shows us that Jesus didn't stay dead. And that gives us hope that the one who has power over sin and the death and the grave actually has the power to bring us to life as well. He's the first fruits from among the dead. He's the deposit that God has given to show us where things are headed if we're in Christ. Second reason that the ascension is important is that Jesus triumphed and reigns in glory. It shows that he's the king. He went to his throne. It shows that he has power. It shows that, that, that he is... So again, the disciples here had their eyes on Jerusalem. Is this when we get to kick Rome out and take power here? Jesus didn't have his eyes on Jerusalem. He had his eyes on being the king over all of the earth. And he triumphed. And what it means is that we actually have an advocate at God's throne. In Hebrews 7... It says that his priesthood is permanent and continues forever. And because his priesthood continues forever, what that means for us is that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you hear that? Jesus ascending to heaven means that he continues as a priest interceding to God directly, praying for us, that he is advocating for us to God the Father. Now, there are streams of Christianity, some of you grew up in them, that people, that Christians spend time and spend all kinds of time praying to saints and trying to figure out which saint to pray for and, and not realizing that praying to saints is just praying to dead former Christians. And we don't need to do that. Why would we waste time praying to saints when Jesus himself is at God's right hand? Jesus himself is interceding for us, praying for us, advocating for us. You see, Jesus went to reign as king, and he is triumphant as king, but he also went as the perfect priest, continuing in God's presence forever, and the ascension is what brought him into that place. And so the call on us in that is in Colossians chapter 3. If you've come to Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and been welcomed into the family of God, if you, then, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So you understand these writers that are writing these letters interacted with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They watched him ascend to heaven and then had angelic beings show up next to them as they're looking into the sky and go, yeah, he's going to come back that way too. So why, why are you wasting your time looking up? And in that, in their experience of Christ, they're able to say with confidence, this is where he is. He's seated at the right hand of God. If we believe that, our entire focus, our entire perspective should change. It changes the timeline of how we see our lives. For every one of us, and for some of us more than others, anxiety can be crippling. And what happens when we get caught up in anxiety and confusion so often is, is really that we lose the ability to be able to see things with any kind of perspective. Because anxiety becomes crushing and we get fixated on minutia and on small details and on, on small timelines. And, and, and it makes us unable to see a way out. If you're in Christ... You have hope because he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. You have hope that he's praying for you. And so when you're trapped in the clutches of fear, you can remember that Jesus has conquered the grave. When, you're, when you feel crippling uncertainty, you can remember that Jesus himself is praying for you. When you, when you, when, and then when you start to wander through the, you know, playing the what ifs and what might happen and, and how things might play out in your own life, then, then what, can, what do you have to be afraid of? Because even if you die, then it just means you join him in glory. So that's what freed the Apostle Paul to say, hey, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he was in prison when he said those words. And, and saying the, can you imagine him saying those things to his jailer, saying, hey, as long as I'm here, you guys get to hear about Jesus. That's a benefit for me. Win. And if I die, if you guys kill me off, that's great. I get to go be with Jesus. And so we can be freed from anxieties and fears if we believe that Jesus triumphed and reigns in glory and continues as our priest. The ascension gives us the promise that we've already been raised in Christ and that we will share his glory. Third reason that the ascension is important is that Jesus gives gifts as the head of the church. And God's generosity is extravagant. Now, we're just coming out of Christmas time, which is a gift-giving season, and so most of us gave gifts and received gifts over Christmas. Sometimes we can, I mean, it's just blown away by people's generosity during that season, um, God's generosity is extravagant. So what are the gifts that he gives us? Well, th this is the ascension is important because in John 16, Jesus had told his disciples, unless I go away, we can't send the Holy Spirit. He said, yeah, that's got to happen. It's going to be better for you than for me to be physically present. So the first gift he gives his people is the Holy Spirit. We see that here in, in Acts chapter 1. Remember, what were the two things that Jesus called his disciples to? He said, wait and don't leave Jerusalem. And because the Holy Spirit is coming. Now, when we get to chapter two in a couple of weeks, we'll see what happened when the Holy Spirit descends on God's people because it, it got crazy. 
Like things, things went a direction they never could have predicted. Peter, the guy who had betrayed Jesus and cowered even to a, a servant girl in the courtyard of the high priest's courtyard when Jesus was arrested, and he couldn't even admit to following Jesus to her because he was too scared of the consequences. That same Peter stood up in Jerusalem and preached a sermon, and 3,000 people decided to repent and follow Christ. He, in his sermon, his big, like, candy-coated, sugar-coated hook to try to get people to hear him was this Jesus, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And he went on to call them, but they heard this and they were cut to their heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people were added to their number that day because they finally waited for God to come and work. And he worked through them right where he had put them. So this gift of the Holy Spirit isn't something that has stopped. The triune God hasn't become, gone from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to Father, Son, and Holy Bible. The Spirit continues to move and to work today. That gift is still given to God's people and his church. As we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to see how the Spirit moved through the church and how that continues in our lives and in the church today. Then the Spirit, by, through the Holy Spirit, the, another gift that, we're, that God's people are given is spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks all about how the church is one body with many parts, and the, the members of the church are all given gifts by God's Spirit to be able to build up the body of Christ, and that every one of us is gifted differently. That for some, it might be gifts of administration or gifts of, of help. For some, it might be gifts of communication and, or gifts of encouragement. And, and so all these gifts are given not for our glory, but for the building up of the body of Christ for His glory. And, and that, that is a gift from God that just continues over and over and over again. And, and we'll see this again as we walk through Acts, but those gifts of the Spirit to God's church, it's not, it's, it, what's amazing is that, that he will gift his people for the needs of the church in the moments that they need them. And so he continues to lead, Jesus continues to lead his church through the Spirit, even in his people. Another gift that Jesus gives as the head of his church is he gives the church leaders. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that he gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. And so there are people that are called to serve the people of God in leading them. And then he gives the gift of mission. And he gives it right here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus called to them is he says, okay, his response is so kind and so gracious to the disciples when, I mean, he's about to ascend into heaven, like he knows what is, what is happening. And he comes to them, and again, this like heavy moment where, where they're going to, they can't even anticipate what's about to happen and the reality of the unveiling of Christ's glory, even in the ascension, and similar to, to the night before the garden. The disciples are like, well, hey, is this it? And they, they're totally off track, and his response is simply to say, listen, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father is fixed by his authority. He says, guys, Relax but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then the call to them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this really sets an outline for us through the book of Acts that we see first that salvation came to Jerusalem and then extended to the region of Judea and Samaria and then eventually has gone out to the ends of the earth. It's reminiscent of the call that we hear in Matthew's account of the ascension as well when he says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they got there, they saw him, um, they worshiped him, but some were still in doubt. And Jesus said to them in, in Matthew's account, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus gave a gift of his mission entrusted to his church, to his people, and, and that call has again continued to us today. It's a gift that extends to us today, that, that we're called to go into, into all people and, and proclaim the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded, that we're called. Now, we don't live in Jerusalem, but for us, D.C. is our Jerusalem, and we are called as a church to be focused on, on seeing the gospel brought to bear in this city of being his witnesses and being a part of God's work and bringing renewal and restoration in this place. And to be then to extend that regionally and extend that and be a part of his work globally across the world throughout all nations. And think about this. I mean, I, the, the reality of him entrusting his mission to us. In 2 Corinthians 4, um, it captures this and it says, it says that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You need to hear that again, church. The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Dorothy Sayers, the author, said that there were three humiliations of Christ. The first was the incarnation as he took on flesh and, the limit, and human limitation and human sorrow and human death. The second was his death on the cross, the ultimate humiliation, standing even under a curse, exposed and killed as a criminal outside the city. And the third humiliation of Christ is that he entrusted his gospel to us. Broken people, fragile people, and God has chosen to use us as his instruments. And through our weakness, his power is shown to be even more glorious. Now, think about the honor that we find in working alongside people. Um, do you remember what it was like to be a kid? Did you ever get to go to work with your parents? I can remember that. I can remember my dad when he was a real estate appraiser. We would go and I would ride around with him sometimes to go look at houses. Like, can you imagine a much more boring thing <laughs> now? And at that point, like, we didn't have cell phones or Google Maps. He did get one of those phones that was in a bag for a while that, like, had a battery this big in the car. And it was, like, $5 a minute to make a call. <laughs> 
But we would ride around in the car, and I, he had a big, thick Chicago area atlas, and we, he, would, he helped me to learn how to read it, and I would help him navigate the roads. And I was just, for me, it could have been the most boring thing in the world, sitting in a car filled with appraisal papers as he was doing everything by hand, but it was the best. I got to go and help dad with his work. I got to join him in what he was doing. I got to experience what, he, what his life was and just be alongside him. I used to do the same thing. My mom worked at a bank for a while, and I can remember every once in a while I'd get to go in there, but that was mostly fun because I would bring like G.I. Joe figures and stick them into the plastic containers for the vacuum tubes <laughs> and send them out on missions. <laughs> As a child, there's nothing more exciting than being able to come alongside your parents and see where they work and experience it. My kids do it. Like, I don't get it. They, they just get so excited. They're like, hey, you want to go hang out at the office? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. But it's because they get to be alongside their dad. You need to understand, our heavenly father has called us to join him in his work. It's, it's the work, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness has given that light to shine it in our hearts if we're in Christ and to be his witnesses in D.C. and throughout the metro area and to the ends of the earth. That he has is, he is called us as fragile and as broken as we are, as wrecked with anxiety and fear as we are, that he has called us and chosen to use us as his instruments to bring the glory of the gospel to all people so that, that all people can hear and be called to repent and believe and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and, and to be taught everything that he commanded. We get to join our Heavenly Father in the work, and that gift of joining Jesus on his mission is a real gift to the church. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit, it takes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it takes, it takes the, being a part of the body of Christ, and, and, and as we all join together in that collective witness. So Jesus gives gifts as the head of his church. Fourth, Jesus will return. And without the ascension, we wouldn't be looking ahead to his, his second coming. Now, here, the two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So they're saying, stop looking around. He told you what to do, and he's going to come back. Now get to, now get to the waiting and stay here in Jerusalem. In 1 Thessalonians, it tells us what, what it will be like when Jesus comes back. It says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We look ahead to a time when Christ will return. His work doesn't stop with the resurrection and ascension and mission. It goes on to his coming again. He's going to come in the same way that he left. And when he returns, it's going to be, we're not going to miss it. It's not going to be subtle. He's going to return with a trumpet sound, with archangels crying out, and the dead will be raised in, in resurrected life, not just resuscitation. If you're still living when Christ returns, we too will be caught up with him in the air. And all of these things serve as, as a beautiful encouragement for us. Because what it tells us is that Jesus sees us, 
He sees our brokenness. He sees our grief. He sees our sorrow. And he's not ambivalent about those things. He loves us and he's coming again for us. And when he comes, he'll renew and restore all things. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And the description of the, of the new heavens and the new earth out of Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus ascended to take his seat on the throne. And when he returns, that will be his voice that we hear, declaring, I'm making all things new. Jesus cares about our suffering. And if you're in Christ, that means that our future is incredibly bright because his work isn't finished. And the call to mission to join him in his work continues today. You know, the story of God's work that, began, that begins in the book of Acts continues to carry through. We're a part of that story even here at Redemption Hill. So listen to this. Here's a timeline of God's work through his church. AD 30 was Pentecost. The movement of God's people had begun. His spirit descended as promised here in chapter one. His disciples began to proclaim his word and preach it with power. By 42 AD, 12 years later, the gospel went to Egypt through the, apostle Mar or through, yeah, through the apostle Mark. By 49, it had moved to Turkey and Greece through the apostle Paul. By 52, it had reached India through Thomas. By 174 AD, it had reached Austria. By 350, there were nearly 32 million Christians in the Roman Empire. In 432, St. Patrick went to Ireland. In 635, the, the first missionaries went to China. In 900, the gospel reached Norway. By 1200 AD, the Bible was available in more than 20 languages. In 1517, the gospel swept Europe in the Reformation. In, between 1555 and 62, in just, in just that, that seven-year time period, 200 churches were planted in France. In the 1700s, the, the Holy Spirit swept through the American colonies in the Great Awakening. In 1801, the District of Columbia was formally organized. And in 1838, a gospel witness was established on this corner in Ebenezer Church. In the 1880s, Scandinavian immigrants came together in, in Boone, Iowa. You know, that's a random jump, right? We'll come around on it. <laughs> to form an association of churches, the EFCA, of which we're a part as a church. In 1960, Wayne and Betty Olson moved from Nebraska to start a church in their basement in Annandale, Virginia. In 1961, the National Free Church in Annandale, Virginia was established, the first national project of the Free Church Men's Ministry. Jerry Hall was the senior pastor for 20 years. In 1986, they called Bill Kynes to be their senior pastor, and in 2006, changed their name to Cornerstone. That year, in 2006, Cornerstone began praying that, uh, that God would call the right man to their church to plant into the city. In 2010, they called us. 
to move to DC and to plant on Capitol Hill. And in 2011, Redemption Hill was born. Church, we're part of this story. The roots of our, story, of our story go back to these moments, even as the apostles were being commissioned by Jesus to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are part of that reach to the ends of the earth. And it's continued. In 2014, Village Church Belfast installed elders and came together as a church. In 2015, they were given a building and, it con- and they continue to grow. In 2016, Doxa Church in Mexico City was launched. And in 2018, Village is working to plant a second church in Belfast. And the story continues. And so over the next few months, we're going to look at the beginnings of this story, our story. We're going to see, again, how the Spirit moves in power, and we're going to see the importance of who Christ is and what he's called us to. We'll see the foundations of what the church is and what we're called to and what we can lean into. And as we go, there's, we're going to see what it'll take for us to continue to be a part of the work of God in, in his world as we join Jesus in his work of renewing and restoring all things as his witnesses. And so that is what is ahead. Um, but today, what I hope you'll see is that the ascension of Jesus Christ is essential for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, it gives us hope and peace and rest. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to hear again, these are eyewitness accounts from just 30 years after the events happened. And so you, today you're confronted with a question of what do you do with Jesus? Was he a man who lived and died and was raised from death to life and ascended to the right hand of God in heaven? If those things are true, then it's time to repent, turn away from the things you've been pursuing and turn toward him. Trust him with who you are and what you have. And all of us together can turn toward Christ to set our minds on things above in this new year. Seeking Christ where he's seated at the right hand of God. Let's pray. Um, Father, we are so grateful that the story hasn't ended. We're so grateful that what we see in Jesus has continued even through today and that the ascension shows us that, that your work didn't stop. Father, we're grateful that we get to be a part of your story and join you in your work. And, and we do pray that you would, you would move by your spirit in this body in the coming year. As we walk through the beginnings of the book of Acts together, we do ask that you would use this as a catalyst to shape our hearts. And even now, as we continue to worship you, we we pray that you would continue to speak to us through the songs we sing, through the voices of the people gathered around us, that you would free us from anxiety and fear to rest in the knowledge that we have a great king and priest who is advocating for us. And we pray in his name. Amen.